So, Michael, there's some questions that we want to ask about this topic because you and I agree this is the most important thing that any of us can begin to do in our lives is to open up the power of the Word. So one of the questions I want to ask you is, if a person says, I just don't have time to read it, what do I do? What, what's your practical advice for us to put this into play? Yeah, um, and first of all, I mean, I, re- I really resonate with that, with, we all do, with that, um, that concern. Um, and I want to I be very careful with this whole topic that we don't become motivated primarily by uh, guilt or something. And so I hope, I hope that, you know, certainly in the, in the message comes across more in terms of promise. So with this issue, I think there's a couple of things I would say. One is um, speaking straight to one another. We, we do make time for some things um, if, they're, if they're important enough to us. If we feel that we absolutely can't live without it, we do. Um, so part of me wants to say, hey, let's just be honest with each other. We could, we would just have to cut out other things. Um, so that's part of it. But then there's also the practical, how do I do this? I think I'd say two things. One, start somewhere. Even if it is only, you know, I'm going to read this verse. I would rather you do more than just read it real quickly and walk away from it and forget about it. I don't think that, that the Bible can do its work that way. But if it's, all right, I, I really can only, right now, grab five, maybe ten minutes in the morning. Okay, spend those five or ten. Uh, read uh, a psalm or read a portion of the Gospel of John or Mark or something until you, you know, come up on a thought that, that, you, that grabs your attention and then just think about it. Turn it over in your mind. Set aside, okay, I'm going to start with 10 minutes in the morning. Okay, set it aside. Turn it over in your mind. And then maybe one or two times throughout the day, just stop set an alarm on your phone or your watch or whatever and stop and think about that same thought. And that way you're spending, you're training your mind to think about the truth of God throughout the day. That's really the most important thing. The reading is just a means to that. So I would say start small, um, uh, start where, with what you can. And then secondly, it feels a lot to me like the, um, the other six days series, especially that back half of things. We talk about rest and play in particular. So much of that is I, my life today is such that I can't do what I want to do. Okay, so plan plan 90 days from now. I'm going to do what I can so that I've reorganized my life in such a way that regular intake of the Bible, hopefully more than even just 10 minutes a day, that regular intake of the Bible is now possibility. Maybe it's six months from now. Whatever it is, like plan ahead and do what is necessary and cut out certain things and reframe other things so that you can do what you want to do. So um, I hope that's beneficial. Those are, the, those are the things that I try to accomplish in the many seasons of my life when I think I just don't have time to do this. There's a friend of mine named John Sawyer, and he has a line. He's used it recently, and I'd never picked it up previous. He said he has a simple motto in his life, no Bible, no breakfast, no Bible, no bed. So he has two daily offices of reading scripture. Mm -hmm. I I know another person who won't drink their coffee in the morning. Is that threatening? But they won't drink their coffee in the morning until they've had their time in the word of God. And when you make those steps to say, this is equally as important as those things that bring me pleasure... Uh, then I think you can create space. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll do anything if you want to bad enough, right? And so the power of God's word is worth doing whatever it takes. Uh, so how can the Bible be considered relevant in this scientific age of evidence that we live in? Yeah, I'm glad that for that question because at the end of the day, while I do think the most important thing for helping your friends wrestle with the Bible's relevance is that it's alive and active in you doing its work, there are still those, you still got to be able to answer certain questions like this. Um, and with the science one, the two things that I would talk about are mainly 
One is, let's remember historically, you don't have science without the Bible. You don't have like mo- the modern scientific pursuit without this understanding of the world as an ordered, structured thing that we can look at directly and understand better. Um, that is really, re- historically, I'm not even making a valued statement. I'm not saying our faith is so cool. I'm saying it actually happened that way that the study of science came out of a belief in God as creator. And I realize that science in itself has moved away from that. But for, for starters, you don't have science without the Bible. So it's not a very good argument that the Bible's irrelevant. Secondly, if they want to say, yeah, well, that was us growing up. The religion gave us science. Now we have science. We don't need religion anymore. I will point out that science is not a total system. Science cannot teach you how to love your, your husband or wife. Science cannot teach you how to raise your kids. Science cannot teach you how to process your emotions. And if you try to let it, you're probably actually not going to do a very good job of it. So I, I, am, I, I want to always be super careful in those conversations and anywhere else not to throw dirt or mud on science. Science is a great gift, and it's a wonderful uh, service to the world. And if you're involved in science or thinking about going to science, awesome. Do it to the glory of God. But it just can't answer all of our questions. So, um, so it's, it doesn't replace, but rather comes alongside the Bible. And how do you answer the fact that the Bible has been used historically to oppress people? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it has, gosh, I don't try to deny it for one thing. You know, you think about the popular ones, the crusades and, and maybe more on a personal level, people know certain folks who have maybe a husband's used the Bible to, to, you know, domineer his wife or something, something, uh, anti-biblical such as that. Uh, the things I'd say twofold, one are um, read the Bible for yourself as, like, oh, as a whole, not just a small piece of it. And people maybe get a small piece of it. It's like look at a small piece of a beautiful painting. You can't get the whole thing. You've got to read the whole thing. If you read, not like the whole Bible, in a, you know what I mean. You've got to get the big picture. If you read the Bible as a whole, maybe starting with the teachings of Jesus in the New Testament, you tell me whether you think those people are reading this rightly and applying it well or not. Because again, I think the Bible is that line in the cage. I think the Bible is its own defense. We read it and we think, oh, they, didn't, they weren't acting well with it. The other thing I'd point, it, point out is that the bloodiest, most brutal, uh, violent regimes that we've seen in the past few generations are, are very much not rooted in Scripture. You think about, I mean... Hitler and the Holocaust, you have at least six million Jews losing their lives. You think about, um, uh, gosh, Chairman Mao in China, I mean, 40, 50 million people losing their lives. You think about Stalin's Soviet Union, you're looking at four to 10 million losing their, being killed um, in various ways. Uh, you look at Pol Pot and, uh, and the Cambodian stuff, you got another few million. So most of the like most horrifying acts of violence and oppression in our world are not rooted in Scripture. And I think today on the flip side, if you look at acts um, or, or movements trying to fight, fight injustice, you think about all the work being done today, fighting sex trafficking, it's not all Christians, but a lot of it is. And so I just think if we back up and look at the facts of the situation, what happens when people totally reject the Bible? All those movements were totally anti-God, anti-Scripture. You totally reject the Bible. You don't end up with this happy, peaceful place where justice reigns and oppression's gone. You end up with the opposite. And, um, you know, surveying what people who believe in the scriptures are doing today, it's pretty, pretty, pretty fantastic, actually. None of us are perfect, but when the Bible's read rightly and lived out, it, it is a force for good, no question. And so one of the questions, Michael, that has come to us that we want you to address is how? How do we practically implement this in a busy world when it doesn't seem we either don't enjoy reading or we don't have time to read? Yeah, no, that's a good question. Um, and it's a difficult thing for all of us. By the way, I'm tempted to just start telling you about all my problems up here since I'm on the couch and we'll just have a little session. Um, you know, it's, um, 
With the question of how and specifically the busyness, uh, we, we are all busy. So I think a couple of things I would say are, you know, we make, not to be snappy with a response by any means, because I feel this, uh, as, as I do in my own life and, and in and y'all's as well. Then we make, it's important to realize we make time for, for things that are critical to us. If we think we can't live without it, we're going to make time for it. And I think about that with this as well. If, we are, if we're not convinced that we need it, then all the attempts that we make and put in place just aren't going to work. If we are convinced, we will. And on that, though, I would say a couple of things. One, start small and, like, uh, be practical. So don't start, you know, if you don't have time for this, don't think, all right, how can I, starting tomorrow, create an hour, of, of, an hour every day just to read and study my Bible? That's probably not going to happen. That'd be awesome if it was. But if you start with 10 minutes in the morning, I can, if you think about your life, I can get 10 minutes in the morning to just sit and read and think about it. That's all I can do. Okay, start there and just read a little bit and, and get a thought up there. You know, read Psalm 23, the Lord's my shepherd. I have everything I need. Okay, I'm going to lock into that. I'm going to think about that for all. I'm going to pray through that. I'm going to meditate on it. I'm going to turn it over and over in my mind. I'm going to say it over repeatedly. And then, you know, set an alarm maybe on your, on your watch or on your phone to ding around lunchtime. Okay, I'm going to think again about what I read this morning. Maybe you're not even cracking your Bible again, but you're thinking about what you read. And then again, before you go to bed, if you do start there, that's substantial. That's more meditation on scripture than most of us do. I would also say, take advantage of, I know we had some of this, um, come in, take advantage of all the many ways the scripture can come to you. Look at it on your, on your app. Listen to it. If you listen to the Bible, you're actually hearing it the way most people originally did anyway. Reading the Bible came much later. Most people took it in by listening. So if you listen better than you read, you don't have to read it. It's just about scripture intake. So that, oh, one more thing on that too. Um, I felt this way with our work and rest sermons and play things. A lot of times with the rest, especially, it's like, I can't rest right now. I don't have a, I've created a life uh, structure that actually doesn't make any room for it. But I can plan out 30, 90 days, six months from now, and I can start reorganizing my life in such a way that rest is a real possibility. Same thing's true with Bible reading. Maybe I don't have time to study to the extent that I would like to. Okay. I can take ownership of my life and schedule and start cutting other things out and creating space uh, in, the, in, the long, in the long term. I don't mean like years from now, I mean months from now, so that when I get there, maybe it's whenever, whenever the kids go back to school in the fall, I will have done what is necessary in my life and restructuring so that at that point I can start to engage, engage the Bible in a little bit more depth like I want to. Those are just things that come to mind for me. I have a friend who's been influential in my life, and he has a statement I heard him say recently, and it stuck with me. He said he has a policy in his life, no Bible, no breakfast, no Bible, no bed. And he disciplines himself by that. I also know someone I look up to uh, who won't enjoy, won't give himself a cup of coffee until he's had his time in the Word of God. That's blasphemy. I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) And another idol falls. (laughs) But, but the truth is, we make time for the things that are important to us, and things become important when we make time for them. So this isn't guilt-inducing. You can, create, you can create a 20 to 30-minute time block every day if you want to. And what we want you to understand is the power of the Word of God will make you want to if you open yourself up to it. So a couple of questions have come in this particular hour that um, are significant here. How do you live this out when you know the truth, but you're struggling with doubt? I'm so glad somebody asked that because that is something that kept me away from the Bible for a while and um, still has, has occasion to. Um, I think so many different things that could be said. Let me point out maybe a couple quick ones. One, remember that doubt is not 
the antithesis of faith. It's not the opposite of faith. Doubt is actually like the opportunity to exercise faith. Um, And secondly, the biggest thing for me is to realize that doubt might be God answering my prayer. Here's what I mean. I read this story about someone's great faith in the Old Testament, and then I've asked God, God, give me faith like that. You ever prayed something like that before? Like, give me what these people have. And then God's like, all right, well, let me sort of remove my protective cover over you for a little bit so that you actually have the opportunity to exercise faith in the context of not being absolutely sure or something of that nature. So sometimes what I'm saying is sometimes doubt needs to, we need to go at it and just actually like go get a book about evidences for the faith. Other times we need to realize that God is answering our prayers. He is. We've asked him to sharpen our faith and strengthen it. And so he's allowing us to experience doubt and and, uh, these different things so that we can grow up in our faith. And then also this is where I think I've heard this from so many people who are older and wiser and more experienced in the scriptures than me, and I'm starting to taste it in my own life. If you stick to the path, if you stay with the book, it will actually become that the source of that power that overcomes your doubt, that replaces your doubt with confidence. And like I mentioned, and life is seasonal and it's not all just sort of one linear path towards what we're trying to go with. The spiritual growth looks more like this. But I've been in a season right now in my life where I'm just, like I said, starting to taste that truth that I've been reading about and hearing people say. And honestly, when I've heard about it most of my life, I've been like, yeah, maybe that works for you, but I'm not sure it will for me. I think it will for us if we stick with it over time. And uh, another question came in. It's really insightful. How would you address the argument that claims the Bible is relevant only because it says it's relevant? Yeah, that's a good question. I think... um, uh, it has to say that if it's the word of God, like if it's the word of God, he's not going to appeal to a higher source. And so I think I would say, good question. That tells me this is, you know, a person who's really thinking it through. The Bible doesn't just say it's relevant. It shows its relevance um, to those who engage it. So I think what I would say to you is read it regularly over the course of a long period of time with your question. I'm not telling you to let go of your question. I think you can read it reverently and still have that question. Say, all right, God, all right, like if you are there, God, some people say this is your book and I think they say it because this book claims to be your book, but I'm gonna try to read it because if you're there, I wanna know you. And if you stick with it over time, I really think it, it will show itself to you in various ways. Um, there's probably other couple things I'd say that, but, but um, uh, I, don't know if, if, what, what, I don't know if they have time. What, uh, we've talked about this before. What do you say in those situations? Well, there are people who... Picture a diving board at a big public pool. It's 20 feet up in the air, and there are people who say, I doubt that that will hold me. Well, their presupposition is that it's false, that that diving board won't hold them. Now, the person who goes on that diving board and it breaks while they're on it, they can say justifiably, I don't trust it. Are you with me? Many people say they don't trust the Bible. They've never experienced it. It's not just a book to be read. It's a book to be experienced. So your whole trusting and obedience to God is where God displays himself. And so I've never met anybody who's really ventured into the scripture and who opened themselves up to acts of obedience who left a dissatisfied customer. And so for many of us, we can't purport to believe the Bible's true and not know what it says. And once again, that's not to inspire guilt. That's to say, test your doubt against God and watch what he does. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the hope. So Michael... Uh, when you don't know what you're looking for in his word, where do you start? And if you just want to grow in him, where do you turn first? On those days you can find just a few minutes and you simply want a little more of him, what's a good place to start in the word? Yeah, that's a, <clears throat> that's such a lot of good questions wrapped into there. Um, and so if I forget one of them as I go, throw it back out. Um, really, I would say, first of all, wherever you start, the most important thing is that you don't stop. 
um, is that you just keep, keep going with it. But having said that, I would say start in a combination of the Psalms and uh, probably the stories of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And what I love about the Psalms is they were actually given us to pray. They were our prayer book, a divinely inspired prayer book. And they're not clean and, clean and tidy. They're messy and all over the place. And there's, there's a value in that. There's value in that because it helps us pray through whatever we're thinking and feeling and whatever other people are thinking and feeling. So start, open up the Psalms and just read until something makes sense and then talk to God about that and then read some more. And uh, if, you, if you pray, you know, if you read uh, one Psalm and a chapter of one of the Gospels, um, then, and as you read the Gospels, ask, what would it have been like to have been there? Just try to picture the scene as best you can. Even if all the details aren't correct, picture yourself there and think about what it would have been like. If you start doing that on a regular basis, then I think it'll start to produce fruit. And I also hear in there kind of a time crunch. You know, I only have a little bit of every day. I get that. I mean, that is true for most of us. Now, on the one hand, I'll say, um, most of us, it's like the, like the work and the rest stuff from the previous series or like the rest and the play stuff. A lot of us hear someone on rest or someone on read the Bible and it's like, okay, cool, I'd love to do that. If I had more free time, I don't. Part of it is we probably could make a little bit more time than we think in our lives today by cutting out certain things to make more space. But sometimes realistically, you just can't cut things now. So plan ahead. Think, you know, a couple months from now, how can I create, how can I reorganize my life so that a couple months from now, I have half an hour to spend reading the word or whatever. Um, so on that, think in the long run. In the meantime, do what you can. Even if you just read a little bit, maybe you have 10, maybe you can carve out 10 minutes in your morning. You read a little bit, you think about it, you pray through it. Even if you don't understand it, you just keep it in your mind or you read till you understand something, keep that in your mind. And then at lunch, set your, set your little watch or your phone or whatever to go off at lunch hour and think about it again. And then before you go to bed, think about it again. Then you've taken one truth from Scripture and you've meditated on it a few times throughout the day. And that will, not immediately necessarily, but eventually that will absolutely start to produce fruit that you can feel. Not just, I think it's working, but you will start to notice. Probably not, it's not even so much, I love when I read the Bible, but hey, wait a second, I totally didn't like mouth off at that person. Whereas six months ago, I would have. Um, you'll start to see fruit in that way. Uh, there's a... They're giving me a cue here that if you go to our website, ccachurch.com, there is a reading plans part of our webpage that will give you suggested places to begin reading if you're looking for a place to start. Uh, a friend of mine has said this. He's been influential in my life over the last 30 years. And one of the things he shared with us recently was that he has a policy that says uh, no Bible, no breakfast, no Bible, no bed. So he won't go to bed at night until he's had his time in the Word, and he won't eat breakfast until he has his time. I know someone else, and my dad, who won't read or he won't have his cup of coffee in the morning until he's read his Bible. So we, what we find important, we make time for. And so we need to make time for this if we believe that the Word of God is active and breathing and living. So we, want to, we don't want this to be guilt. We want you to, to be encouraged that there are lesser things going on in your life that you don't need to make time for. This would be one you could create time for and see what God does with it. Uh, very interesting question. We chatted about it a little bit earlier. If an ancient text changing someone's life makes it true, then what about the Bhagavad Vita or other texts that have changed people's lives? Yeah, I love this question. This is a question I would have asked too and still do sometimes. Um, one thing, it's important to remember um, what I am and am not claiming today. I'm not saying that just because it's changed my life, it's true um, I'm in specifically addressing the question of what can you do about with your friends that say it's irrelevant. And all I'm saying is if you read it, I think it will do things in your life and that will make those conversations a lot easier, which I think is a very important and critical thing. I do think a part of its proof of its truthfulness is the same thing, though, but not just one person. I mean, I'm one voice of many who have said the same kind of thing. 
Um, so I think there is something to its ability to change our lives, which shows us that it's real and true. However, I, and so building on those things, I would say a couple. One, I don't buy it with a lot of these other texts. Like I've, I've been to India, where the Bhagavad Gita comes from, and you, it is a culture based in a book, and you don't want to live in most parts of that culture. I don't either. So I don't necessarily buy that entirely, just even the premise of it, but also and mainly... There's much more, if I, were, if I were doing a thing on why do I leave the, why, why are all the reasons I believe the Bible true? First of all, I probably wouldn't try to squeeze it into a sermon up here, but we'd have a longer time to talk through it. And this would be one of many things I would point to, historical accuracies, um, coherence of the book, the fact that it's one unified message all the way through. Uh, it's based in an event, the resurrection. Our faith rises and falls with the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Unlike other faiths, that is like a verifiable thing. That is the core. If the Bible did things to me, but I had no proof Jesus rose from the dead, I wouldn't be a Christian. I would just say, that's weird. No, like I'm here because, and in my doubting seasons, it's been my inability to deny that the only thing that makes sense of the evidence we have is Jesus' resurrection. That's what's kept me in the faith. Um, and, uh, and then you add to that some of these other pieces. So I don't know if my answer is clear or is making sense, but this isn't my only leg to stand on if I'm trying to argue that the Bible is true. It is one of them, but there are others as well. trying to pick out. There's a lot of really good ones here. Um, and I think also we're going to do either on the app or the website or somewhere answers. <laughs> it's like I'm going to jump in and answer more. No, I promise not. I, for the questions we don't get to, we're either going to get to them later in the series or on the website and app and different things. We're going to try to tackle them so you can find stuff there. Uh, this has been reoccurring this morning. What can be an effective way to incorporate growth and dedication to the Bible within your marriage? Man, that is such a good and hard question. Um, my wife is wonderful, and she knows the Bible well, and we are very different. And when we try to read the Bible together, in the, like when we first got married, it was like, all right, I'm going to be like a good husband. I'm going to lead my wife. We're going to do our devotions and this and that. And some of that stuff's awesome. I'm not dogging people who do that. I think what I want to say is at all, um, different marriages are going to look differently. Keep trying until you find something that works for you. With Beth and I, we don't necessarily do a lot of devotions together. We talk about God together. We serve God together. We're always, you know, we're doing all of our lives together. But, um, I mean, I want her to be reading the word, and she wants me to be reading the word. And so we'll occasionally talk about it. But for us, um, you know, if there are marriage counselors in the room and this is bad, you can tell me later. For us, it's more like we're following Jesus together. But in my reading of the scriptures to feed my soul. I mostly do that here. She does that here. And then we come together and serve him here. So that's how it works for us. You can tell, you can, you can say the right way to do it, but that's what we do. Now, in the first week of your marriage, when your wife looks at you and says, don't preach at me, it changes the game a lot. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think we all need to be students of the word and we each need to be learning in our own way, in our own time and sharing that. The problem is not sitting down and having the Norman Rockwell picture scene. If you don't know who he is, look him up. But that's Americana. We project this. I think the big thing is talking about what God's doing in your life and what he's teaching you and sharing that. That's when we all become the evangelist God calls us to be. So don't set a model that you found on Brady Bunch. Set a model that's legitimately based on who you are in God and share that journey together. Um, Okay. My fat finger moved it here. Uh, oh, yeah. So let's end with this one. How do you talk to a friend who doesn't want anything to do with the Bible, God, Jesus, or even the church? Yeah. Um, 
I mean, in, in the end, I'm, I'm glad for that question. That's the question I hope, I hope the message as a whole speaks into that very situation. That's my desire with, uh, with this. And I really felt, and I talked to Mark a couple weeks ago, I've, so I feel like sometimes the Holy Spirit says, here's the truth, preach, preach what you want. Sometimes the Holy Spirit says, I want you to hit this element of it. And I really felt that way with this message. Um, and so think again about the message as a whole. You, your life, if you regularly engage Scripture, and it does, if you regularly engage Jesus, ultimately we're talking about Jesus and God's presence in our life through the Word. They've sanctioned the Bible as the way in which, you know, God communicates to us, or God has. Um, so take to heart what I said. It's as you change and grow and continue steady in the faith that they may, their interest may be piqued. I don't know if there is much you can say to a person who is, whoever, I'm, tr- I'm going to try to make eye contact with the whole room. So whoever you are, we, we, saw, we saw each other kind of. Uh, whoever this person is, you don't try to argue them into things. Um, it's probably not going to work. Don't beat them over the head with the same things you've been saying. It's probably not going to work. Just live well and love well and stay connected. Stay in their, stay in their lives. You've got to be patient with these things. I remember hearing a story the other day about somebody who had come to faith um, about this, this person was telling a story about somebody else they cared about. They prayed for that person for like 40 or 50 years regularly. And then they started to see some movement. So don't give up. Uh, we, are, we are complicated people. And it takes a long time uh, for God to get our attention sometimes. And so you are part of God trying to get people's attention. Just rest in that. And you keep living out your faith. And you keep engaging the word. And you keep allowing it to transform you. I believe that every opportunity that can be there will be there for this person to come to see what God has done in their lives as well.